0: Hello everybody, I'm Alistair McIntosh, the author of a new book from Berlin called Riders on the Storm, the Climate Crisis and the Survival of Being. It's about both the science of climate change, but also what it means for our humanity and how in my view the hope for the future comes from deepening our humanity. Now I'm speaking to you from my home in Govern, in Glasgow, which is one mile west from the Glasgow Science Centre. Which, in exactly one year's time in early November 2021 will become the focus for the world with COP26, the conference of the parties number 26, the 26th gathering of world leaders to decide what to do about climate change. Paramount on the agenda will be how to implement the commitments that the world made in Paris five years ago to try to keep global warming within one and a half degrees of what it was in pre-industrial level. We're already at 1.1 degrees. And if we start going up towards two degrees, it gets positively dangerous. It's already getting very dangerous for many in the world today, as we're seeing with wildfires, floods, rising sea levels, and so on. So this conference is of huge importance for our children's and grandchildren's future. It's been delayed because of the coronavirus, and whereas there is no evidence of the coronavirus having been caused by climate change, it is nevertheless a lesser crisis enfolded within the greater crisis of what climate change is bringing upon us. And so the UN Climate Change Executive Secretary, Patricia Espinoza, has said, our efforts to address climate change and COVID-19 are not mutually exclusive. If done right, the recovery from the COVID-19 crisis can steer us in a more inclusive and sustainable climate path towards building a safe, clean, just and resilient world. So, you see, these are things which, even if climate change wasn't happening, would be good to do anyway. And how do we set about doing that? Well, already the United Nations has in place its 17 sustainable development goals. Sustainable development, forms of development that can be undertaken without compromising the needs of future generations. Now, many forces have conspired to try to corrupt that term. And to make out sustainable development is just another way of talking about sustained conventional economic growth. But I would point out to you that of these 17 goals, these are wonderful things to be trying to work towards. If we work on any one or any combination of these, we're working towards making the world a more sustainable place. Let me just take some of them. Number one, no poverty. And in, you're behind each of these little colorful squares that you may have seen in the chart that the UN has produced. Behind each of these is the whole strategy for working towards these things. Number five: gender equality. Seven. Affordable and clean energy. 12. Responsible consumption and production. And 16. Peace justice and strong institutions. We might quibble at number eight, decent work and economic growth. But you see, it's one thing to say that economic growth should move into degrowth in the bloated, overconsuming Western world. It's another thing for the poor countries in the world. And so what we need is growth that is equitable in the world, And growth, which is of a form that dematerializes, that reduces how much stuff you need and how much energy you need in order to make the things we need for dignified sufficiency in life. So, yes, you know, greenhouse gas emissions are our population multiplied by our level of consumption in very crude terms. But it is a level of consumption that is escalating. You know, in my lifetime alone, greenhouse gas emissions from consumption have increased sixfold, whereas world populations increased only threefold. So it is a consumption that is a really problematic thing. If we we were all to live gently on the earth, there would be enough for everybody, and we'd be able to come down to a soft landing where we no longer destroy the future. Now, towards the build-up for COP26, the United Nations will be organising what was originally called the June Momentum for Climate Change. It was going to be in June of this year, but because of COVID, it's now been moved forward to 1st to 12th October in 2021. And if you go on their website and if you just Google June Momentum for Climate Change, you will see a host of events that are part of the buildup. And I'd just like to read you what the UN says these will be, because I think they show how, how much of an interpenetrating thing climate change is that you can't just pull at one end of the tangled ball of string. You've got to pull at everything. That's why these UN Sustainable Development Goals, all 17 of them, are so important. They deal with life in a holistic way and not just in a fragmented way that conventional technology, politics, and economics has tended to do. And so what the UN is saying will be happening, and you'll already find the website links for taking part in these events, that they will be looking at climate change action, including adaptation. In other words, how do you adapt to things already happening, like increased wildfires or rising flood levels? Mitigation, the hugely important task of cutting carbon out of our emissions. How do you mitigate the carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gas emissions? being put into the atmosphere? How can you draw carbon dioxide back down by planting forests or by other techniques? And how can you develop Homes of energy that are no longer polluting. I'm also looking at the science, the finance, technology and, and listen to these. This is where it gets really interesting because this is where it concerns us as ordinary people and what we as the UK and Italian hosts and the wider world might each do in our own lives in very down-to-earth ways. It also includes capacity building, that is to say of institutions. Transparency. In our politics, in our business lives, and so on. Gender, equality between the genders, and another in addressing other forms of inequality, and action on climate empowerment. It's actually got that one in block in, in capital letters. Action on climate empowerment. How do we become empowered to act? And it's that one I really want to home in on in terms of the question of what might scotland as the hosts of cop 26 for the uk and the wider world what might scotland and glasgow especially have to speak to in this the name glasgow translates from the gaelic as dear green place this is a place where we live relatively close to nature, just you know, half an hour out of the cities, you've got hills and open countryside, you've got um, all kinds of renewable energy happening and so on that delegates will be able to see. But what I want to particularly draw attention to, what I want to draw attention to folks, is what we can offer as human beings. Because you see, the situation we are in, the challenge facing the world is extremely dire. In the Global Emissions Report of 2018, the United Nations pointed out that world greenhouse gas emissions had been a staggering 55 billion tonnes of greenhouse of carbon dioxide equivalent. That's carbon dioxide, including other greenhouse gases like methane and nitrous oxide, 55 billion tonnes and to reach 2030 target those need to be cut by 2030 by 32 billion tons a year 32 billion down from uh, cut on top of uh, down from the 55 billion and so somewhat with an understatement the united nations says the emissions gap is large the gap between where we are at 55 and where we need to be cutting it by 32 That's a very large gap. The Centre for Alternative Technology in Wales, tackling this question last year in its Zero Carbon Britain report, looked at what was technically possible for Britain to decarbonise, looked at the physics of what it was involved and named what it called the physics politics gap. The gap between what the physics says we need to do by way of decarbonizing our energy and the politics in democratic settings of what is likely to be possible. And it said, the Center for Alternative Technology said, if we analyze these physical requirements and work out a physically credible plan based on our scientific knowledge of the situation, we find it does not fit comfortably into the frame of normal politics and economics. In fact, a huge gulf between what is physically demanded by science and what is seen as politically possible is revealed. So that's the scale of the task we're up against. That's why we have to look at levels of consumption for whatever the world's population is. And remember that population in many countries is starting to fall now because of women's empowerment. We need to look, especially at that consumption, at how we fill our emptiness with things. So in Riders of the Storm, I talk about our disconnect from the land, from communities of place. I talk about clearance in a Scottish context, enclosures in an English context, the same elsewhere where people have become disconnected from communities of place. I call that clearance. I suggest that that leads to a kind of inner collapse, where we no longer get our satisfaction so much from each other and from nature, and we become vulnerable to consumerism. So clearance, collapse, consumerism. In other words, we move into a situation where, in order to find fulfillment, we're all trying to buy the stairway to heaven, except we can't get no satisfaction. Consumerism is a never-ending treadmill. So what is the antidote to that clearance, that original disconnect, that inner collapse, that seeking of satisfaction in consumerist ways? I suggest the rebuilding of community is so central. So that's my four Cs, clearance, collapse, consumption, community. And this is where Scotland, I think, really has something to offer the world. Because since 2004, we've had land reform legislation. We've now got nearly 3% of our 19 million acres being held by some 500 community land trusts. And in these places, people are able to live much more sustainably. They have renewable energy schemes, local solar, wind, hydro the revenues going back into communities instead of into corporate pockets. They are building affordable housing for their young, ecologically sound, so you, you've not got young families just paying out and fuel poverty all the time because their houses are well built and insulated. They've got all kinds of local economic initiatives going with small business activities. And we saw the benefit of this during the covid when it was often the community land trusts or development trusts that had the local legitimacy, expertise and infrastructure in order to put the relief efforts in hand so that people could be delivered of their medicines and meals and so on. And above all, you've got the empowerment in the people. You've got in Scotland, the whole can do in these local communities, not just rural communities, but increasingly also urban communities that are taking control of assets in their place. So this is the kind of um, hope that I would see us bringing, a hope that can deepen our humility, deepen our humanity. <laughs> I made a nice Freudian slip there, our humility, our humus, our humanity, all coming from the same word, humus is the root of them, our grounding with place, Deepen all of that and help us to face come what may in the come to pass because we're going to have to live with whatever is happening and we're going to have to make the best of what may be a bad job and we need inner strength as well as outer strength in order to do that so i'd like to close by sharing with you a reading from riders on the storm A reading from an event that took place last year when we hosted a delegation of community leaders from West Papua province in the Indonesian half of New Guinea. Now, I'd spent four years of my life where I learned a lot about renewable energy and relationship to the land living in Papua New Guinea when I was a volunteer as a young man. And now I've been engaged with these groups in the Papuan-Indonesian side of things. And we've been bringing people to Scotland to learn what is happening with community empowerment and land reform here. It's even impacted upon some of the legislation for forests in Indonesia. There's been some wonderful outcomes of this work. But of course, when we bring them here, it's not just for them to learn from us. Because just as I as I learned about land and its importance to community in neighbouring Papua New Guinea, so we learn from them today. And I want to tell you about the day we went to visit the Point and Sandwick Trust, which produces nearly a million pounds a year from its own three wind turbines, and that money gets ploughed back into community good causes. And it's on the land that is community held by the Stoner Trust on the Isle of Lewis, which is where I was raised. And we took them while we were there, not just to look at what the community was doing with land reform and renewable energy, but also to a, a war grave site where in 1919, a ship called the Iolea ran aground and some 200 returning servicemen drowned. It was a tragedy so great that although we knew about it growing up on the Isle of Lewis, it wasn't talked about and has only been talked about in the year of its centenary that has just passed. And this is what is so tragic and yet what to me inspires such deep transformative hope. Rhoda Mackenzie and Katie Lang took us to the headland where the Isle Lair had gone down the ship that lost 200 men coming home from the horrors of the Great War on New Year's Day in 1919. We looked out across the marker on the rocks known as the Beasts of Holm. The Papuans were very taken by a suggestion that some of the naval ratings would have known that they were on the wrong approach path to the harbour, but such was the authority structure of the times, that they would probably not have seen it as their place to challenge the judgment of officers from away. We stood before the monument, a rope coiled up and cast in bronze. In those days before heated pools, very few islanders could swim, but one man aboard the ship who could do so took to the water with a line attached. At the first attempt, he got swept under the hull by the force of the backwash, but he resurfaced and with his knowledge of the sea waited as he judged aright the rhythm of the waves and then surged in on a breaking crest to safety on the shore. From there, he used the line to pull ashore the horse some forty men got off before the wreck gave a mighty lurch, and the rest were lost. Something about the sculptor's representation of the rope moved Mama Engelina very deeply. The heavy hawser coiled round and round at the base. The lighter messenger line that the man had swum with coiled up above. The chunky Franciscan monk's knot to give it throwing weight resting steadfastly on top. Mama was an islander too, some kind of a pastor in the church back in her community. Like Mama Moran, she spoke little in the group, but when she did, everyone quickened to alertness because they knew it would be meaningful. Outwardly, she looked incongruous, standing at this tragic location, all zipped up in a too-large anorak to harbor from the bitter North Atlantic winds. Inwardly, and maybe more than any of us, she was right there, a depth of presence edging on the reverential. She leaned down and slowly touched her black gloved fingers on the coils of bronze. It was as if some instinct sought to bless or ask us as blessing from a depth of being that survived the Iolia. That rope, she said and waited for Maria to translate. That rope pulled life back into the community. Friends, I leave you with the thought, what is the rope? What are the ropes by which we might pull life back into the community of the world in the face of climate change? What might be pleated together in that rope, perhaps, of 17 pleats of the UN's Sustainable Development Goals. How might we work on one or more of these goals in playing our part, as we learn not just to paddle at the shallow end of the pool, but to swim in the deepening pool and to dive and even to breathe underwater What might be coming upon the world in the future? What might we plead together? How might we pull life back into the community? And what can we share with the world? When attention is focused in one year's time on Glasgow, for COP26, the conference of the parties, of the governments of the world, party to the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, which will make vital decisions for how the world might be made safe for a future that gives life. Thank you for being with me and thank you to Berlin, my publisher, for producing Riders in a Storm and for hosting this event. That was Alistair McIntosh speaking exclusively to the Berlin podcast about his new book, Riders on the Storm, The Climate Crisis and the Survival of Being, published by Berlin. Riders on the Storm is now available from your local bookshop or you can order the book directly from our website at www.berlin.co.uk. Thank you to Alistair McIntosh for taking the time to record that for us and thank you very much for tuning in.